1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: So you're going with Cleveland? Um, I Here's the thing. My brain is telling me Chasm 5. My gut is saying it's a sweep. And wow. I don't typically go this arrogant, but um, I think that there's... There's still a little something there. I think you're going to see a really motivated LeBron. Um, He loves playing in Boston. He probably has more playoff wins at TD Garden than everyone on Boston right now on their active roster.
1: You just heard there in the opener. From our last episode, the big prediction by our guest for the second time in a row today, Justin Rowan, calves on it. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. I'm Bobby Manning, that's Justin Rowan. Welcome to the Celtics Blog Podcast, the official podcast of CelticsBlog.com, where we have an article up, tribute to Terry Roger, a number of other good articles. Bill Sy had a little back and forth with Romy, so go check those out. From Fear the Sword, on the other side of this equation. On the 0-2 side of this equation is Justin. <laughs> and you just heard right there his prediction from episode 37. His gut told him Cavs in four. That went out the window quick in game one. And then oh, yeah. in game two, his Cavs in five heart reaction. It was either heart or gut.
0: Either way, they I, were I both wrong. I thought head was Cavs in five. But, yeah. Yeah. Either way, not looking too great. Not looking too great, Bob. So what went wrong? That's my first question for you. So here's my big thing. I don't really do a lot of hot taking. Like I go after – like I like to have fun on Twitter, as you well know. I like to have jokes. But typically I make fun of things that have already happened. Um, So when I was given my prediction, it was something I genuinely believed. I didn't want to get a reaction out of it. What? I I genuinely believed it. And here's where I went wrong, because I needed to reflect on where I went wrong in my process. I thought that the Toronto Raptors could be used as a measuring stick. This was a team that was better than Boston throughout their regular season. Um, Their defense was comparable in terms of defensive rating. It was a better offensive team. And when I looked at how the Cavs performed against them, I thought, okay, maybe there's going to be an off-shooting night and Boston can get a game there. But this isn't as good of a team and where i went wrong and some a lesson i should have taken away from toronto because i went into that series predicting that toronto would actually win in six games the way you play defense matters more than those season-long ratings boston really really prevents movement off ball they will tag guys they will jam cutters they do not let you get to your spots without you feeling the defense. So even in game one, where 53 out of the 86 shots the Cavs took were uncontested, and they shot 30% on those shots, which drove me nuts, you're still thrown off of your rhythm. You still have a guy that's flying to close out on you. You were still jammed going to your spot. And those type of things I, I should have paid more attention to. I think Boston came out far more prepared, and I, I underestimated them for that reason. And I, I think the issues with Toronto now, looking back on it, are more mental than what I realized at the at the time. I, I didn't necessarily buy into that. But it, it appears apparent to me now that they were an inaccurate measuring stick. Mm-hmm. And I think you were a
1: little bit off with the Celtics, too. I, they deserve some measure of credit here. And, of course, after game one.
0: To, to be clear, I, I, I believe I was giving Boston credit there. Yeah. I, 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 no, I am I am in, incredibly impressed with this team. They they even the guys that have offensive weaknesses like a Marcus Smart. They still he still puts pressure on the defense by the way he drives his ability to run the pick and roll. They have shot makers uh, like They are a very, very impressive team, and they have done a tremendous job. That was one of the better Marcus Smart games I've ever
1: seen in Game 2. He was phenomenal with the hustle plays, with the turnovers he forced. That dive across the sideline where he saved it coming out from behind LeBron on the uh, fast break going the other way was one of the best defensive plays I've ever seen. That was unbelievable the way he kept that in. And like you said... I don't know how he does it, but he keeps drawing gravity on his drives. He's like a 53% shooter at the rim this postseason. (laughs) And he's still just drawing people in on those drives and dumping off. I think he did that four or five times in Game 2. Who do you feel like has been the game-breaker on the Celtics so far, the biggest difference from last year, where they just didn't seem to have the personnel for this matchup?
0: I think that's an interesting question. I know who I think it is. The big thing and it was something that uh, a concern that i expressed actually when we talked was i i had a fear that this would be the series where al horford really could make his impact on the series just because not necessarily yeah you were right Bo- about that i yeah boston's personnel around him i don't think has as much of an impact on it i think it's the change over with the Cavs and, and their ability to expose them like if you look at game one and again, Tristan Thompson has actually done a really good job on Al Horford in the minutes that they've played together. In game one, Horford, when guarded by Tristan, he didn't have a point, he didn't have a rebound, and he didn't take a shot. Now, he, they basically took Horford out of the play and exposed everyone else because Thompson was pulled out of the paint. They exposed every single other matchup. Horford made great reads. And that was the thing. I brought this up on the chase down pod, which all you listeners subscribe. I know you want to listen to some Cavs talk. But one of the things I brought up was in the past, it hasn't been like Thompson has forced Horford to collapse in a way you'll see with Russell Westbrook, where he's jacking up bad shots and things of that nature instead he gets him to be a little passive because horford always makes the right decision he's not going to take a lot of bad shots he's going to move the ball he's going to rotate it and in the past by limiting him that way it limited the celtics and in this series as i said in the minutes they shared in game one not it didn't make a big difference because they attacked other guys in game two Yes, he did a better job on Horford. Horford only shot 33% when Thompson was on the floor. And Boston had a negative net rating in the 29 minutes that they shared. But in those other minutes, I, they, I think the net, uh, the net ratings was negative 1.8 for Boston in the 29 out of 30 minutes that uh, Horford and Thompson shared the floor. And they had a plus 66 net rating in Horford's other minutes. And the thing with Boston, uh, which... Uh, it really impresses me is they don't rely on one guy consistently. They get bursts. One quarter it might be Jason Tatum. They, Jason Tatum in game two had an, an incredible scoring burst in a game where he didn't play great overall, but it was timely. It was needed. And then later in the game, you get Marcus Smart will have a burst or then you have Jalen Brown will have a burst. And they have so many guys that collectively they are able to beat you down that way.
1: Yeah, and they haven't had those offensive holes, which is key. I, we were talking to Brad after Game 1 of practice, and he said you can't let those 10 nothing runs get up above that. That was his mark, and that never happened in Game 2. There were some monster right. runs early in that game, but they cut them off every single time. In fact, Marcus Smart cut one off very early in that game at 7 nothing with a steal, and like I said, he just broke that game too wide open to me. But I actually agree with you on that Tatum front. He's been... Just a completely different factor in this series for them. When they need a bucket, he's able to rip that wide open. He actually had a major response, like you said, there in game two. But in game one, when Thompson came in, he was killing him on switches, just destroying him. And he's a guy who can get on to weak defenders that the Cavs have and blow through them. Jalen Brown's doing that. So even though this is a team that, like we said, coming in, 107 offensive rating, not... Yeah. among the elite of the elite in the uh, basketball world and scoring. But they have just enough creation across the board where they can get it done in companionship with their defense. Now, LeBron, hey, I want to challenge you on this again because in the episode we did last week, you said he's not a coach. You can't throw four guys on him and expect that to work. I wonder if you've changed your mind on that because Marcus Morris primarily has obviously been doing the great job on him. Nine points allowed in that matchup in game one. I think uh, I don't have the numbers from Game 2, but I know he just scored 10 points in the post, which is what you're looking for. So uh, what have you thought of that LeBron matchup so far, especially Game 2 where he just launched a ton of threes, which I thought was
0: weird? Yeah, well, Game 1 is kind of Game 1 LeBron. We we see it all oh God, the time. Here where... we go. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm dead serious. Game one was game, game 1 was completely different. You can't tell me that he didn't look passive the entire game. He was checked out that entire game. I heard a stat
1: that he's 2-10 on the road before that Toronto series
0: and road game ones. I believe it. And even in that Toronto game, he was awful in that game. Like, they stole that game with an awful LeBron game because he's always passive in game one. He feels it out. Game two, he came out guns blazing, and the Cavs wasted a game. Jason Tatum makes the biggest play of his career by giving LeBron a concussion. Um, (laughs) I I know we joke about the NFL how they – they'll just rush guys back in and the concussion protocol calls a joke lebron was messed up there it was 71 that, to 47 after that yeah yeah that was a that was a pretty big turning point um i'm concerned about that moving forward i don't know how quickly he's going to recover there i don't think the Cavs would ever admit that they uh they rushed a guy out and, and risked his health or and, and maybe that's unfair to speculate, but when when you're wobbly like that and the way that he played after, where he was getting guys involved, but he wasn't attacking the basket, he wasn't going into the post, he was avoiding contact, it's it's put them in a tough spot because now you have completely reduced your margin for error to almost zero. Um, Boston, as you and I both know, has been a different team on the road. And I, I do think that... Um, Typically, role players play better at home. Um, that, that's traditionally been what happened. So maybe the Cavs get their shooters going. Maybe they can tie this series up 2-2 and do a Milwaukee to, to Boston in the first round. Um, but at the same time, if you have an off-shooting game, which can happen at home too, all of a sudden, you open the door for Boston, who we know is going to hang around, that isn't going to give up at any point of the game. And if they make this 3-0, it, it's, it's curtains. I was really on top of the people who were making fun of the other
1: Cavs coming in because I still look at these names, George Hill, Jeff Green, whoever else they have there, Rodney Hood, and I I think these are decent guys that can contribute, that can help out a team that I've seen play well in the past, and I was convinced that those trades at the deadline were going to make this team the favorite in the East well before any of this playoff stuff happened, and... I don't know where these guys are. Jeff Green, I heard someone on another podcast saying they shouldn't even play this guy anymore. He's been such a no-show. George Hill, I I look back on the box scores now since he's joined the Cavaliers. I think it's 13 or 14 games, almost uh, 45%, 40% of the games he's been in. He's hit two field goals or less. So he's been a no-show in this series, especially five points, three points. Yep. What is going on with these role guys? It, do they just stink or is it them not being able to get involved around LeBron? Is it a bad team after all? Because I tend to look at it and say this team's still better than any of the ones he had
0: pre-2011. But if everyone else is saying hey, they stink. Hey, 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 Chill, chill, chill. 2009, was a, that was a squad, man. I, I, I still ride with 2009.
1: All right. Either way, not his worst team ever, definitively. I mean his first team ever didn't even make the playoffs. What is going on with the role guys? J.R. Smith shot always seven in game two.
0: <laughs> yeah, he hasn't hit a three in the series that which after shooting seventy seven percent against Toronto. One of my big concerns and one of the reasons why I thought they were going to lose in the second round, um, is because i do have an appreciation for chemistry and continuity uh you look at the trades that were made at the deadline at that point kevin love had already broken his hand and was out he didn't come back until two weeks left of the regular season so there wasn't a lot of time to work around kevin love um they had a great stretch there where larry nance was really making a difference he was a pick and roll partner for lebron he was bringing a lot of what tristan did in the past by being a mobile five defensively. Um, And then he messes up his hamstring. And then he hurts his hamstring against Indiana again. Rodney Hood started to gain some confidence. He went out with an injury. And then he came back late. Uh, George Hill, you're trying to get him working. Uh, He hurts his back towards the end of the season and then hurts his back again in game one against Indiana. So these guys have really not played together. And they don't know how to play off one another. And the Cavs are in a unique position. Um, Some of it is their fault because of how poorly run they've been from the top down. Um, Other teams can have a bad postseason. The Spurs have had underwhelming postseasons at times. But for Cleveland and the pressure that is put on them by LeBron always having an opt-out. This is the third time in four years that he's had the ability to leave after the season. Any underperforming can result in a decade's worth of futility and everything falling apart. And I think that pressure goes on to the role players. I think that when if you're in a shooting slump, that's one thing. But your shooting slump can also be the end of this franchise. And yeah, and that, well, that's, let, that's let's look tough. back
1: on the year that's been because it's been a horrendous year, maybe the worst year in Cavs history behind, besides the year LeBron left initially. Because right. you lose your GM, the Kyrie stuff goes to crap, they ended up getting a horrible deal for that. I don't know if they could have done much better, but that deal was a wash. There's not one person you'll find in the NBA world who will say Cleveland even came close to what they needed in that. We'll see what happens with the Brooklyn pick. That might be the same. Now, what they rate. said at
0: the time of the trade was a little bit different. But... Yeah. I mean,
1: lots of trades end up like that, though. The Brooklyn trade, we can look back and find some initial tra- uh, takes on that, too, that don't oh, look yeah. so good now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> how, how much of this falls on LeBron? Because... The Thompson deal, I'm not going to harp about. Thompson's played fine this year. He's played fine in this series. But the JR deal stinks. The trade deadline deal stinks, And you know he had some role in those. Is this team, the team that he built, not being enough? I think he plays some role in that. And even bringing them together, like you said, building that chemistry, that falls back on him too. And as he may be approaching his last days here, has he botched this whole situation? Even going back with the Kyrie relationship and how that ended
0: here's the thing i find interesting like i i thought we were heading in a an interesting direction with this conversation but then you took it a different way on almost his role as a general manager LeBron is passive-aggressive. I know one of the complaints David Griffin had was that he actually wished that he had more input from LeBron. These these aren't moves—LeBron doesn't have the final say. He isn't signing the players. If he was, Tristan Thompson wouldn't have had a multi-month holdout for his contract. He would have just been signed. In fact, he would have been extended the year before, which was one of the only real mistakes of the David Griffin tenure was that they extended Anderson Varejao and didn't sign Thompson— and because they didn't do that, Thompson had a breakout year. They had to sign him for more money. He had a holdout with his contract and eventually settled for the, the contract that they offered him on July 1st, which is still funny to me. But, no, I, I don't think that LeBron is the one pulling these strings. I know he's been very frustrated with the front office. He's He was frustrated last season that they... They went until February with an empty roster spot without a backup point guard. I know that was a, a big, frustrating thing for Kyrie. And that's one of the reasons why LeBron is would never sign long-term here is because he wants to have that leverage. He wants yeah. to have his foot on Gilbert's throat. It's kind of weird and, he didn't have the free agency last year to me. Yeah. It, honestly, like... Um, I I don't think that these are moves done by LeBron. LeBron wanted to um, nix the Isaiah Thomas trade. Like he he as soon as he heard how Isaiah Thomas was, and this was an opinion I shared, I thought that they should have just canceled it right there. That's why I wrote before the season, before Isaiah that Thomas was had a Jerry ch- time. <laughs> yeah, that's why I wrote before the season, before it even had a chance to to destroy his reputation i said that the Cavs should trade him and their own first round pick for either patrick beverly or george hill yep. like i wrote that in september well like, that. yeah you were always anti-isaiah to cleveland and that right. came to fruition and, and i i mean that's why i thought that they should nix the deal send an isaiah back to boston unhappy as hell a jay crowder that's unhappy as hell and let boston deal with it oh, it would have been a disaster
1: Right, would been, but would have set us back years. I'm that was scary stuff, man.
0: <laughs> no, I,
1: I, absolutely, and especially if history it, still goes the same way with Hayward, this would have been a
0: scary season. Yep, it, it certainly, certainly could have been, but it didn't go that way. And I, I don't think LeBron has that control of the front office. There, there's nobody that covers the team that that says that. Even people from the outside, like. It's it's a convenient narrative, and it's funny because with the coaching of the Cavs, if there's something that's impressive, it's, okay, it's it's the might of LeBron, he's doing this all good. If there's blame, then it falls on Ty Lue, which I think Ty is sick of. Like, I wouldn't even be surprised if LeBron stayed and Ty decided to step down just because I think there is, as Winhorse wrote, organizational fatigue. Like, I I think he's tired of this. I, I think he's well, he fans. Was
1: giving him his props during the broadcast, though. I mean, when it comes to him, I saw him just standing there in the garden, like having the time of his life, cracking jokes about how Thompson's the answer. Like, oh, I wonder who I'm going to go to next for game two. Like, he just seemed to think that was like I? Blink, of a <laughs> blink of an eye. It was going to flip the series upside down. And Thompson has been good in
0: the series. Like you said, you threw the numbers out there. He's, he's played- done, he's done- that's the thing. Like Thompson has done exactly what I hoped he would do on Horford. Love has responded better to being guarded by Horford than I could have hoped. LeBron has played well and nobody else has shown up. Like if you told me those three guys did exactly what they did through these two games, I would feel really confident about my prediction. We, I, But no one else showed up and that's part of the reason why I still haven't really given up hope in this series Um, It starts with the defense, though, because
1: all those things did go well in Game 2. And Jalen Brown's walking to the basket again and again and again. I mean, do you remember that play where he just ran the length of the floor and no one stood in the way and he just got all the way there? Jalen Brown's proven to be the matchup nightmare in this series, and that's why I was actually going to point to is the game breaker this year because he was here last year. He didn't get his minutes. He probably got to feel a few things out, and he's showing that he understands this matchup and he's taking advantage of it. They're throwing Corver at him again and again, and it is just a disaster. So, Lou's standing there after the game, and he's saying the Celtics are gooning up the series, which I've never, I've never heard that word before. I guess that's really? a hockey word. Yeah, that must be more of a I, I'm surprised
0: then. from Boston not hearing gooning up the series, man. Either like, that way, that is that is a hockey thing.
1: Yeah. So that's that's his answer not really an answer just a statement but where does where does cleveland go from here because you seem to think the series isn't over i don't know how they're going to win the series playing defense the way they are at this point behind in a series but where they go from here i mean does calderon get involved is thompson like
0: playing nonstop? what are they going to do i think thompson needs to continue to play um i wouldn't change his role Uh, i think jr smith needs to have a much shorter leash uh, you pointed out Kyle Corver. I, I think Corver hasn't been a total nightmare defensively, but I think JR has been the more glaring um, issue for them, especially in that third quarter that you alluded to there. On
1: JR, real quick. What the hell is he doing on Horford? Come
0: on. <laughs> I mean, I tweeted it at the time. It, it was disgusting. He should have been ejected from that game. And I thought when he wasn't ejected from that game that that was going to result in a suspension after the fact. And that's, it did of-
1: What a disgrace. I mean, the league is so, so lost on the flagrant calls. And this league does so many things well. And I wrote about this last year after Isaiah got kicked out of a game for swinging an elbow on one of those like ball fakes. He got a flagrant two for that. And sure, Justice Winslow comes away bleeding. You might have concussion concerns with those elbows flying around. But I feel like... There's no differentiation between the flagrant one and flagrant two, and refs are just making it up on the spot. It seems like they're responding even, to even what Even JR said is. that it
0: wasn't a basketball play. Even JR said it wasn't a basketball play, and by definition, oh, that's a flagrant two. It's such and like the, That play in particular is a sore spot for me because I remember even playing back in high school. We... We lost uh, a player that was, uh, like, one of the best players in the province for his age group because he was shoved from behind in that same kind of way and tore his ACL. I I was shoved that way. I mean, people targeted the living hell out of my my knee because... I, I had a busted knee. I had a brace on, and you, you think I'm mouthy on Twitter? Um, I, I, I definitely invited a lot of it, but like I, I would get shoved from behind, and like that's how you plant your leg weird, and that's how you you tear or sprain something. Oh, Horford
1: so lucky, he veered off to the right of that post back there because if you run in with that post, it's a disaster. That's how Paul George mm-hmm. broke his
0: leg back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think Horford had a little more control, and, and like I, I think he sold it. But like the act itself, um, to me it, it's one of the worst things that you can do on a basketball court. So I it's, I think it's actually a blow with how bad Jr has been playing that he wasn't suspended for this game. I, I thought maybe a suspension yeah. would open up. <laughs> no, well that's the
1: thing. <laughs> I mean I'm not so concerned about it from a matchup perspective. I just think the integrity of the league. It's such a disgrace how they have these flagrant one and flagrant two calls in place. Massive dis- d- difference between what the outcome is of each call. I mean, the Celtics still got their free throws that ended up becoming like the dagger that put the Cavs away for good in that game. But yeah. I just think there's no more dangerous play in the game than that. And we had a little disagreement about it on the post-game show. One guy was saying that happens all the time. I don't know. No,
0: no, no. Uh, I'm out on it. And like, as I said, I I wouldn't have hated him being suspended because uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Corbin in the starting lineup. Uh, bump Rodney Hood up in the rotation, see if you can get him going a little bit because he's, he's shown some signs of life here. But at the same time, as bad as JR has been, he's he's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Like, he, he can hit some of those bad shots he's been taking. And one of the frustrating things for the Cavs is in the past, making shots has always got them going. And I know that sounds so simplistic and it sounds so stupid, but even if it's a bad shot, like JR hitting one of those stupid turnarounds where he's double pumping, if he hits that, all of a sudden the ball gets energy and and guys start moving off ball. You think
1: that's why LeBron was starting to launch threes in game two? Because we didn't get into that as much. That was kind of odd.
0: I think that had to do with either his whether it's a concussion or whether his neck was sore and he didn't want to get inside. No, but he I was th- doing that from the opening jump. I mean, he was hitting them right from the tip off, but, uh, but he does that. He like, when it's a LeBron game, like, I think you remember back uh, when he was in Miami and, and he had the stair game, like he was hitting a ton of jumpers. Like yeah. that's LeBron when he's locked in and he's been, he was there nine hours before the game, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Uh, I I always roll my eyes at that stuff. But (laughs) when he's feeling his jumper, that's what he's going to do because it opens everything up. But the point I was getting to is when they'd hit those shots, the ball gains energy, guys move off ball. In the past, when LeBron would be passive and stagnant, that's when you could rely on Kyrie to either create a bad shot and hit it or create an open shot and start generating offense. And everyone else gets fired up from that. They start moving around. They start getting engaged on defense. But when you have guys, as I said, shooting 30% on 53 open shots, uncontested shots, they're going to start standing around. They're going to get lazy, and they play stagnant basketball. And that was one of the major talking points was that they are forcing LeBron to play hero ball by how little movement they have.
1: Real quick, you don't think this series is over. Why? Why?
0: because the road team hasn't won a game yet. I, I think Boston hasn't been great on the road throughout the playoffs. Um, yeah, one and fought. Yeah, I, I think if Cleveland can hold serve and get this 2-2, they will. They can gain some confidence. As I said, the margin for error is gone. If they blow one of these, it, it's curtains. I, I don't think that there's any guarantee that the Cavs are coming back. I don't feel particularly confident based on the body language, um, but the team team does seem confident still. Uh, Kevin Love was cracking jokes about being down 0-2. LeBron and Love were both laughing in the press conference after game two. Um, so they seem confident. But with this supporting cast, you can't feel too good about it. But yeah, as I said, if Cleveland holds serve at home, this becomes best two out of three. And... I mean, Boston cheated the system. The and Media is not talking about it. They never won a game on the road against Milwaukee. Game eight should have happened, and those cowards just went on to Philadelphia. It's it's despicable, Bobby. You got <laughs> you got to uh, you got to talk about those guys. You thought you, you thought hold, the Celtics, hold them accountable.
1: You thought the Celtics' length was a problem here. I think yeah, Milwaukee would have given them a little bit of trouble too. Buitenhoever, I'm excited about that next year. They're probably going to be a top three team in the East, depending on where LeBron goes. So let's hop to that big picture again before we send you out of here and get Jam in the studio. Is this it? Is this it if they lose this series? Is he out of there?
0: I don't think this series is going to change a lot of it. I think that his future in Cleveland was going to be determined what they can do in the offseason. There was no expectation for a title this year. Kevin Kevin Durant kind of snuffed that out. Snuffed it out with Kyrie. Forget uh, after losing him. You're always going to take a step back so I think that what happens in this series isn't really going to change it. Um, I think that there is a good chance that he can leave and that he will leave, but at the same time, we don't know what those situations are going to be. We don't know what he's going to be able to orchestrate and plan out, whether it's going to be in Cleveland, which I think would be his preference. Like I don't think he wants to be viewed as a mercenary and a title chaser, but if they can't get something together to to bring another all-star in here or to kind of change it up it's going to be pretty damn tough to keep him Um, but no matter what I think there has to be an overhaul you need to get fresh blood in here because LeBron can wear out his welcome and he can make it tough (laughs) on role guys and it's absolutely worth it but it's exhausting And, and for that reason I am very okay with whatever direction this takes because I, I don't think the Cavs are going to be in the worst possible situation if he leaves. And you know what? I had a lot of fun in those four years as bad as they were. Um, I'm going to have fun. I'm a fan of basketball. And um, when when you have no stakes and your team is not in the playoffs, you can just get jokes off with, without any restraint. So it, it wouldn't be the end of the world.
1: Hey, you're in a decent place in the draft lottery too, if that's the direction they need to take starting fresh. <laughs> Number eight, right?
0: in the lottery yeah. am good so about no,
1: that no hop up as we've seen in the past
0: NBA they're saving draft. that for next year with uh, RJ Barrett ah uh, yes alright
1: <laughs> or O'Shea Brissett why not Bobby Manning Justin Rowan Fear the Sword we will see you when this series concludes probably with Justin again for now we're about to talk to Sam Packard of the Locked On Celtics podcast here on the Celtics blog podcast but You need to wait until Saturday morning to hear it. What do you think of that? I'm throwing a little tease out there. And guess what? We are counting down the top five weirdest weird Celtics Twitter moments of the 2017-18 season. With one of the meme masters themselves, Jam Packard. We're dropping that fresh and early on Saturday morning, so make sure to subscribe to... The Banners Broadcast on iTunes, it's on Stitcher, it's on your Apple Podcast app, it's also on the CLNS Media mobile app. So we'll see you there tomorrow, enjoy game three, and thanks for listening as always, I'm Bobby Manning, that is a wrap, thanks to Justin Rowan, we will see you Saturday morning. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of the theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden other than the fact that it's a thousand years old? Let's take a look. First of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look.